Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Swiss Ballers Pod. I'm Fabo and for once I'm only joined by one absolute baller. Our good friend Dwayne sat close-ish to me in West London. Man, thanks for being back on the pod. How are you doing? Oh, uh, well, I'll say good, but really it's not really good, is it, for sports this week? <laughs> Yeah, we did survive the international break, though. I mean, FPL, Premier League are back. FIFA's yeah. coming out soon. Things are, I'd love to say things are looking up, but um, tough weekend. Um, Before we dwell on, on too much depression stuff, uh, we saw so many comebacks in the Premier League this weekend. Which is the most memorable, memorable comeback for you that you've ever witnessed, like live or on telly? Um... Most memorable comeback. I think the most memorable comeback is when Leicester won the league, but Chelsea came back to win against Tottenham with Hazard's goal. Oh, that's a good shout, actually. Yeah, that 2-2 when Hazard put it top in. That is a good shout. Leicester wasn't even involved in the game, but it's their comeback, even though they didn't even play. But that was a good comeback. Yeah, and then then the videos from uh, the the party they they had at Jamie Vardy's house. That's so jokes, yeah. This is true. I was expecting like some sort of you know travel season. I don't know the the Champions League final, but that's actually a pretty good one. Yeah, the Chelsea comeback that was never on the cards. They didn't even need to do it. They just needed to. I mean, for Chelsea, I don't even think they were do they were going for anything that season. Chelsea which... were like Chelsea were like bottom half, weren't they? They were like eleventh yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah, they were poor that year, and um. They still came up clutch for for Leicester and won them the title. <laughs> yeah. That's a good memory, actually. Yeah, I remember that as well. I remember watching that game live on Teddy. Okay, man, we've discussed so many times over the over the past two weeks this this international break. How how much do you suffer, or do you quite enjoy the international football? Oh, it's terrible. It's I think it's made worse for the fact that the Premier League season just started. It's like you've had two months off without football and then you come back in and you're enjoying the Premier League and then international break strikes and it's just no football and it's terrible. Like, yeah, you can watch your country play, but they only play like one game or two games every international break, whereas like there's 10 Premier League games going on. It's, it's just really bad. It just drains all the life out of you for like a couple of weeks. Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, we've discussed it, as I said, and it just I'm so happy it's over and I'm already dreading the October one coming because it's coming and <laughs> it's coming fast and I'm not excited at all. <sighs> okay. I mean, let's get let's get into the pod. I'll start with the with the 90 second update and uh, we'll we'll do some as we always do. We'll do some therapy for the two of us after a tough weekend. Okay. The Premier League is back after the international break and Liverpool kicked things off at the Molyneux. After holding on to a 1-0 deficit, the Reds turned things around in an impressive second-half display to win 3-1. In Saturday's other games, both Aston Villa and Man City won 3-1 as well after being 1-0 down. Crystal Palace and West Ham on the losing ends of those comebacks. Another dramatic comeback was staged by Spurs, who scored two stoppage-time goals to beat Sheffield 2-1. No comeback was launched by Man United. They lost 3-1 to Brighton at Old Trafford. And Luton also continued to struggle. They lost 1-0 against Fulham at Craven Cottage. In Saturday's late kickoff, Newcastle beat Brentford by one goal to nil in what is a huge result for the Magpies ahead of their first Champions League game in nearly 20 years. In Sunday's two games... There was only one goal. Trossard scored the winner for the Gunners at Everton, while Chelsea v Bournemouth stayed goalless. Tonight, Forest play Burnley in game week five's last game. The biggest foreign league story is the Milan derby. Hashi turned this down because AC Milan lost 5-1 to Inter in the derby. PSG also lost to Nice, but that's less relevant because everyone hates PSG anyway. Okay, that's the the 90-second update. Anyone who wasn't watching the games, you're now up to scratch. Dwayne, I have to I have to go there, I have to go where it hurts. How much are you suffering right now as a United fan? How how much does it does it hurt? Uh it's it's bad. It's really bad. Because it's I think it's just ten times worse being a United fan when you lose. 
Because if you win, it's United fans cheering and, you know, half the United fans will cheer and the other half will just, you know, still find something to criticize. But when you lose, it's like the entire world's against you as a United fan. Like anyone is against you. Even like a third league fan, like Plymouth Argyle fan might start clowning United at that point. So it's just really bad. Yeah, it's tough times to be alive. And and right now it's not just the results that aren't going United's way. It's it's the off the pitch stuff. It's it's all the all the noise, the turmoil, the selling, yes. the, the not selling. It's all it's all the rest of it. We'll we'll talk about it in a second, but let's give some some credit to other teams. Starting with I can't believe I'm saying this, but Liverpool, who look really good and staged another comeback. People are starting to chat about them being title contenders potentially where do you come in on this do you think do we trust this hype uh i don't think they've played a top six side yet have they i think they're playing spurs newcastle the first newcastle Newcastle. yes the newcastle game someone that that, stands out yeah is that right is that true yeah they did 2-1 yeah but they are looking much better. I think there's still a lot of issues in their defense and midfield, as in they haven't really. I think Sabozlai has been the one that's been integrated the best. But I think they still have issues, especially at defense and midfield, because they still haven't addressed that lack of cover. I think Endo is a good short term gap. But their, their attack is just scary. And it's just, they weren't at their best against Wolves. They were really sluggish, but they still just absolutely feasted in the second half and I think that's just the potential of Liverpool just turn it up anytime they want to that's with the attack they have but you don't think they can just kind of outscore opposition all the way to the title uh, I mean it's possible but I think this season seen a lot more teams start to take a step up so I think Liverpool's Liverpool's going to have to see how their defence and midfield holds up against and Arsenal, Brighton, Man City, Spurs right now, even West Ham maybe, because West Ham are very, very good. So it looks like you're going to have to see how it holds up against them, but they are looking frightening. I mean, they're definitely going to be there come end of the season. It's just whether they can actually win. Yeah, and and I mean, obviously this week starts, which I guess is is good news, but the the European League starts and, and Liverpool have some some decent away games in in Belgium and and Austria and France that they have to go to in in their Europa League group. So that will be a distraction as well. Do you think their squad depth is big enough to really challenge for several titles? I think it's hurt them before the fact that they've tried to compete on all four fronts and they've just like run out of gas at the end. But the Europa League's a different competition because it's Thursday night and then you've got a rest. Or come back home Friday, and then you you might play Saturday. So you've got like twenty four hours to thirty six hours rest, and I don't think, I think, and again, the offensive three players they can rotate that every single week. But if they do pull bits and pieces out of their midfield and defense, like the whole system changes around that. Because if they take Trent out, they don't have another player that can replicate the same role as Trent, and I think it might hurt them because they are quite low in terms of defensive options and midfield options but the, the with outscoring they might they could just outscore teams in Europa League playing their their rotated side and that might help them stay fresh for the Premier League yeah i, I agree with you there they trent is a big problem we saw the defensive liability of of Joe Gomez and while it was wolves and he struggled with neto even uh i you know, scary thoughts, what could happen if they face better opposition. Okay. Liverpool, Arsenal, Man City, Spurs look like the early front runners for the top four spots. Is is that how it's going to stay? Are you seeing anyone else challenging? Are you still hopeful that United might? Or are those four for you the, the ones that are going to make it? Very I early think doors. City and Arsenal, I think, have genuinely got it on locks because they just steamroll teams every week. Arsenal looked not so good against Everton, not so good against United, and they still win. So it's the hallmark of a really good side that if you're playing as bad as you are, to still come up with these wins. Because, you know, you could lose big points there, but they keep getting points. And City, everybody knows that's just the machine. It's just the perfectly oiled machine just keeps on going every week. Liverpool, it's a matter of, like, whether their squad can hold up. Because if they have the bulk of their squad for at least 75% of the season, they will get in. 
I think Spurs are looking really good to the point where it's unbelievably good. So there might be a reality check somewhere across the way because right now they're they're top five in most statistical analysis of every like tackling, defending, proof of chances created. They're in, they're incredible with everything. So I think there's a reality check coming their way, but I don't see a United competing against the Spurs this season, weirdly. Or I don't think Newcastle can manage the extra games they might have unless they drop out of the Champions League. Uh, Brighton's got Thursday League football, which might hurt them. So realistically, you are looking at those four to just run away with it because Spurs have such an has such a weight off their schedule without any European football or any other football. And they've lost the cup as well. So they've literally got FA Cup in the Premier League. So that'll help them. Yeah, I mean, they narrowly avoided a, a reality check um, on the weekend when they nearly lost to, to Sheffield. I want to pick up on something you mentioned there, which is which is Arsenal having it on lock and, and not playing well, but grinding out results. They look much less flashy, much more gritty this year, don't they? They found yeah. a way, non, a non-impressive way against Everton. And, and it, it kind of reminded me a bit of their first game of the season against Crystal Palace, where they won away from home as well. 1-0, penalty goal that time. They... Is that, in a way, even more scary than when they produce flashy, nice, nice combinations and and play attractive football? I do think it's more scary because Arteta's been sort of experimenting the entire time. He's been playing party at right back. He's deployed Havertz to the centre mid where in the Premier League he probably hasn't played. He's left Jesus on the bench despite being fit because Enketia's in form. He's trying different things here and there. And you do see the flashes of brilliant play. Like their goal, their first goal against United was an exceptional build-up. Their their goal against Everton was really nice. It's just the rest of the play wasn't good. And I think it's just a matter of time before Arsenal start getting everything, the gritty mixed in with the flashy. And then it's just it'll be scary at that point because they're a really good side. They've got everything perfectly balanced out there. You know, I was wondering this, and I, obviously we, with Armand, we talk a lot about Arsenal and we have spoken a lot about them on this pod. I worry a little bit for them in with the Champions League distraction. I think that's a, that's a first Champions League outing for a lot of those players, for more of those players than we might think on first glance. You know, like Saka, for instance, hasn't played a Champions League game yet, ever. And... While obviously they still have some experienced players in there, they've also let go of some key experienced players or, or the likes of party aren't really in the, in and around the team anymore. And I just worry that they'll be able to compete on two fronts and keep that tension. It will really be a test of, of Arteta's resolve. Are you more optimistic than I am on that front? I think we're still yet to see a proper Arsenal team, play, a, a team like Arsenal, play really good football without Saka and Martinelli. So I feel like if one of those two go down, that could really stir things up at Arsenal. But for the Champions League, well, they've been nice in the sense that they've been handed a decent group. It's not, it's not, um, it's not Newcastle's group because that could have been terrible for them or it could have been much worse for Arsenal. So I think... They will struggle. I don't. I think many Arsenal fans will think they'll just steamroll the group. But yeah, the reality check is that you haven't played Champions League in almost six or seven years. So to just get back into that would be tough. But they do have the quality to just... They, I feel like they'll make it out the group stages to see where they can go from there. Because Arteta is going to be tested against other managers who are tournament specialists. So it, it'll be interesting to see them. But I do think that they have enough to get them through both competitions. How far do you think they can? I mean, obviously, it depends on the on the draw always in the Champions League. Where do you rate Arsenal amongst Europeans elite? I think if they get to the last eight this year, that'll be good. Because if they can finish top of their group, they get a second seeded team. They can win the round of 16. The round of eight could be a very good first attempt for Arsenal back in the Champions League and then 
you know, it's just building upon that consistency and trying to take it a step further. But round of eight for the first time back in a long time would be pretty good for them. Yeah, I agree with that. I want to talk about another London team, uh, Chelsea in this case. Everyone was, everyone in the FPL community at least, was starting to invest in Chelsea players at the start of the season. Looking at their run of fixtures, they haven't really played anyone too scary just yet. And somehow still they're struggling. They have all these new players, all this attacking potential, all these new signings that, yes, they do have a lot of injuries, but still a lot of quality on the pitch. And they sit even below Man United in 14th. Talk to me about Chelsea. What's Is it? Is it just the new signings needing to gel together? Is it, the, is it a lack of quality, maybe? Should they have... Do they need more signings? Is it just the injuries? What... What's going on there? Well, it's interesting because in terms of like ball playing and possession, Chelsea are actually really high in the Premier League. They're one of the highest in terms of like passes completed and stuff. It's just the final product that's not good. I think against Luton, Sterling had an incredible game where everything was going right for him and his finishing was perfect. But there were other games where for all the good work that Nicholas Jackson is doing, he's not burying the easy chances that he's getting. I think the game against Forrest, he missed oh. a, a goal where I think the keeper was on, I think Matt Turner was on the ground and all he had to do was just put it in, but he just, he he slid for it and he went over the bar. And I think it's it's a, it's a full blend of easy chances missing and not getting the ball into the final third really fast enough. And an over-reliance on, on Enzo. Like, Enzo's been fantastic. He's doing everything, he's doing everything. But I just don't think they've got um, the right players. I think Jackson, if they get a good player, maybe they can look at playing Jackson off the left because he seems like he's just really quick and beats a man, but he hasn't got that end product yet. But also, yeah, they have a completely new side. It's a completely new side, a completely new manager. So I think there's just... It's just time that Chelsea's got to like, they've just got to give Pochettino time, let the players settle in. Hopefully good things will come because the, the, you can see the flashes being there. You can see everything working out for them. It's just they're not putting the ball in the back of the net just now. Do you think that composure will come? Is it a case of just having to stay at it for someone like Jackson, for instance, because he has missed him. I mean, you mentioned the Forest one there where he just blasted over the bar. Is that something that will come with time and experience or does it need more than just that? I think it could be, it definitely needs more time. I think once he realizes how gifted of a player he is, like he can just glide past people, he'll realize that he doesn't have to try too hard. Because I feel like there are certain times where he's just doing a bit too much, where he doesn't like he could he could play an easier he could play an easy game and that might love him to get more goals but it's also a matter of Chelsea did try to sign a striker right at the end of the window they actually tried to get Ivoni in from Forest who's been banging to start the season so maybe that also should tell you that Chelsea do feel like they need a focal point up front and maybe it could tell you that Jackson's not that guy right now yeah but interesting to see how how they develop over the course of the next few weeks Apart from the international break, of course. I want to chat about two other teams that we haven't really talked about so much on the pod. Uh, when Crystal Palace played Aston Villa this weekend, it was a very easy game to ignore for me because there were so many other big teams playing and, and obviously United at the same time. So I haven't really watched too much of, of those teams yet this season. Let's start with Crystal Palace. They're a bit of a of a surprise bag this year I mean they kept Roy Hodgson after keeping them up impressively last year and and somehow he just still keeps on going despite being what feels like 102 at this point they sold Saha everyone was like oh they're going to struggle without him because he's been so important to them for the past almost 10 years now I want to say but Olise, Edouard, Eze they they have a lot of I mean, even Jordan Ayew to some extent, they have a lot of quality going forward. They're making things happen for themselves. It's not, I mean, it's not been the best start, but they've had some difficult fixtures. They sit in eighth despite that. Where do you see Crystal Palace? Well, what are your thoughts on that team at the moment? 
I think Roy Hodgson's doing a very good job with him by simply just ask, just keeping his instructions simple. He's just asking them to go out there. But with Vieira, they had this. I think for a team like Palace, I remember it vividly with Stoke City, where Stoke City were playing long ball football for X amount of years, and then they decided, you know what, we want to be better and let's start playing possession and everything crumbled for them and they got relegated like the season after. I think with Vieira, the reason they were so close is that they were so hell-bent on being a mid-table side, content where they are, and that everything went wrong. So Hodgson's just come in and stirred the ship right by just doing the same things the Palace should be known for. And the way you say attacking quality is incredible because they've done all of this so far without Olise and they still look like a side that can go out there and score. And and Edward's been incredible. So Palace, I think you're going to see them having the odd shock result. Like you might see them go to City and win, but they've made a habit of doing that. And then they might lose at home to like Forest 3-0 or something like that. So you're going to see like, it's just topsy tables with with Palace. So I feel like they're just a mid-table side, but they look good right now. And then they'll look bad and then they'll look good again. I think it's just, they'll find patches of form. Is this... I mean, you said that Roy Hodgson is doing a great job and and keeping his instructions simple and, and doing all of that. Is it... Is that the ceiling for Palace then? Is that as good as it's going to get? Is it is it a good season if they just manage to avoid any sort of relegation question marks and, and stay in that mid-table spot between, say, 8th and 13th? I think they've tried before to overcomplicate things and it's gone wrong for them. So I feel like their motto is why change what's working right now. And if I feel like if they push to be too too good, then they might suffer. Or if they push to be too reactive, they might suffer. So they're right in the middle of that ballpark where it's just like, if we keep things here, it's safe. They're in that gray area where they don't want to push out of. And I feel like a lot of Premier League teams should adapt to that. Yeah, it might not, it might be not be in the most attractive approach, but pragmatic as hell and efficient as well let's talk about their opponents on the weekend Aston Villa a lot of people have put a lot of love towards Aston Villa in recent times uh, kind of pipping them for Europe again maybe even doing something in the conference league this year after that horrendous start away to Newcastle it's kind of gone up and down a little bit they beat Everton convincingly the next week then Burnley then completely lost like crumbled to Liverpool 3-0 now staged a comeback to beat Crystal Palace the the conference league is starting the, they have a couple of injuries obviously with, with Mings out and, and Buendia as well talk to me about Crystal uh, about Aston Villa sorry they, they had some they have, they've made some strong strong transfers bringing in the likes of Zainolo and Pau Torres and maybe even Tielemans who could come good for them how highly uh diaby i mustn't forget diaby in this list of course how highly do you rate aston villa how much how much do you think they can they can cause havoc in the league i'm gonna show a bit of love to the brentford boys out there and i think aston villa are doing the brentford thing where in the last couple of games, when they play at home, they switch to a back four and then they go to a back five on the road, which is typically what Brentford did last year. And I think Willa have such a big squad that they can afford to do that. And Emery's, I think this is the perfect type of job for Emery. It's not too high end where the pressure is too much, but it's perfectly in the middle where he can overachieve with, with a mid-table side. And I feel like they could cause such a problem because last season in his sort of his honeymoon phase, everyone was like, oh, it's just a honeymoon phase. It'll it'll die out in like two months. But he kept it going and give them a full off season. And you can really see what he's trying to do out there. And Aston Villa fans might have a panic attack every single time they play out of the back because they're just not used to seeing it. But they're so calm. They're so collected. And they just they want to pass out of the back. And with Pau Torres and Konza and Douglas Luiz and Kamari, you have such good ball play, playing the abilities there that they're just so calm and composed. And then 
they lure you in and then suddenly it's Diaby and Bailey on the wings with like blistering pace just taking you on and Watkins running in behind with his pace so it's just I think it's really frightening to play Villa but at the same time they do have lapses like against Liverpool and against Newcastle where their game plan doesn't go right and then there is no option B there where they just sat there with no idea what to do and they just completely mauled so it's a bit it's a bit weird but I do think they could sneak into the top seven again top six maybe Wow. Okay. I've always been a bit pessimistic about Aston Villa's chances in the league this year, and everyone else keeps telling me I'm I'm silly for for being not so hypey about them. What I want to hype, though, we have to hype. John Duran, what a goal! Did you see that volley? The technique on that was oh. it was so it was like Zidane in the Champions League final. It was so good. It was incredible. Man, the way he takes it down on his chest and then just immediately swings his left boot at it and smashes it. It's one of them that like smashes the roof of the net and like lands in that like in the corner of the net. And it's just, yeah. oh, so it's such a satisfying goal to watch. And the technique is insane. And the boy's like 20 or something, 21. He's so he's young like... still. He's he's 20 in December, but he's 19 still, actually. Crazy. Came from you know when you're fight. watching that, you know when you're watching that live, and then you just see it's it's just like a blur. Like next thing you know, he's celebrating, and you're like, "Where's the ball gone?" Like he's hit it so hard, and it's so difficult to get that technique unlocked because he's he's chested it down, and it's so easy to just slice right across it. But he's got his foot over the ball, and he's absolutely parked. It's such a beautiful goal. It's an, probably an early shot goal of the season. It might actually win goal of the season if it continues. It's such a good goal. Yeah, it's true. The, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful take. Um, yeah, I'll be I'll be keeping an eye on him. Keeping an eye on you, John Duran. From now on. Okay. Was he from? Is he Colombian? He's Colombian. Yeah. Went from uh from Colombia to to Chicago Fire, and then Aston Villa bought him. I think in winter. And then he's played a few games last year and, and now he's getting closer and closer to getting a, a Premier League start. Okay, we've run out of topics to talk about, so we'll take a break, brace ourselves, have a sip of water, and then we'll tackle the the feature game this week, which is Manchester United versus Brighton. Let's suffer. We are back to talk the Man United game. And I was I chatted to Armon about this last week. We were like, which game should we talk about? Which which game looks juicy? Which game should be our feature in the pod? And we were like, no, no, no. United Brighton looks kind of good. Oh boy, have I regretted that ever since. <sighs> Let's start with the positives, which were Brighton. How good are they? I mean, they suffered for 20 minutes, but once they weathered the storm and adapted to United's diamond, they were just brilliant, no? The, uh, I, I don't know. They look like, remember last season when Pep called them the best build-up team in the world and everyone sort of clowning Pep saying like, he's just doing this for like lols and just laughs, but he genuinely might be right because they are so good in the build-up. I don't think I've seen a team as structured and as they just know what passes next, even without like, like the ball could be like five spaces away, but they know which pass is next. They're so good. It's ridiculous how good they are. Yeah. And they all seem to trust each other on the ball. There's no worry about, you know, do, do I give the ball to that player? He might not be as comfortable. No, no, no. They all just trust each other. And once they lose it, they win it back quickly as a team as well. And, and, they defend in in a very solidaric way, and and they 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 bring on players from the bench. I mean, at some point they brought on Jao Pedro and Ansu Fati, and I mean that's squad depth that most Premier League teams will kill for right now. Really, really scary side, and and I mean they've scored in in all of their games, three plus goals usually. I mean West Ham was a bit of a of a one off for them, but otherwise they've just been so strong. West Ham, Newcastle. 
Wolves, Luton, and now Man United was has, has been the games that they've played. And apart from West Ham, they've just kind of blown opposition away so far. <laughs> I want to talk about the the strikers because last weekend or last game week. Evan Ferguson scored that hat-trick and, and everyone was hyping him. The whole FPL community jumped to get him in. A lot of us have still had have uh, Joao Pedro in their sides. And then on the weekend, Welbeck scored even. Talk to me about that that those those strikers and, and the difference in these three players and, and what they offer. Weirdly, I think Deserby's got them playing in one type of way. So when you see their formation, they set up with a camp, but he plays as a second striker almost. And they both it's just it's this weird thing where they've got no one running in behind. But it seems to work so perfectly for them with the fact that both their strikers drop back to link play and it creates space for each other. It shouldn't work. Like when you think of it when two players come back to the same spot, it shouldn't work, but it does work for them. It works so well. And I think their options are so good that they can just keep rotating and it'll just keep working. I think the sad part for the United fans is they beat us 3-1 convincingly with a rotated squad. Like, they didn't play Estepinian, they didn't play March, they didn't play Ferguson, who are like three of their top players, and they still absolutely destroyed us. So that's even sadder if you like to think about it. Yeah, I mean, that, but that also kind of underlines Brighton's strength. It's that it's such a system-based team. And, and I think it's also underlined by the fact that they've let go of Caicedo and, and McAllister this summer. And those are huge players for them last year. And and players who who virtually played all their games or were, were first names on the team sheet, if available for them at the very least. The Serbi has taken them that extra step and kind of created this, this system, as you mentioned, where it feels like almost whoever plays they'll set up the same and they'll play the same way and they'll find solutions regardless of of who is in on the pitch what makes deserbi so good you touched upon it there with the strikers coming deep with playing out from the back what what is the what sets him apart from other managers the interesting thing i see with like deserbi tactics is he's almost got this like reverse counter-attack of sorts. So there's your traditional counter-attack, which is like, let the opposition have the ball. Once we snag it off, then we'll run as fast as we can and we'll score. And then there are your possession-based teams. Deserby is like sort of in the middle where he's a heavy possession-based team, but their attacks are mainly counter-attacks where they'll keep the ball, they'll lure you in, they'll play three or four sideways passes, they'll step on the ball, make you come for the press, and then all of a sudden, it's like this swift counter where next thing you know, there's like four link-ups and they're already in behind. So I feel like he's done an exceptional job of just replacing the players that he's, that's left with similar profiles. Like, I think no one would have seen Gilmore taking on the McAllister role, but he's done it so well that there's no difference. Like, yes, McAllister's a better player right now. But there's no difference in their system. It just works because he's drilled it into their heads and they have to play this specific brand of football and stick to it. Like, yeah, West Ham, they lost 3-0, but they still stuck to the same football they've played every single game on the Deserby. And it's just, it's just working right now. And it's just scary to see, like, how good it's working. I don't know whether they need a plan B against Man City's against Arsenal, so whether they can still do the same thing and win. But it's just, that system right now looks, it looks unbreakable at points of games how high is Brighton's ceiling then how high can they can they get top four can they win the Europa League how high can they go I think because it's their first time playing European football ever if I'm not mistaken yeah I think it's their first time they've ever qualified for European football it's going to be a bit difficult but they have squad depth enough to keep them afloat in the Premier League like we've seen against United the rotated squad they can still win games so I feel like consistency is very important in football because no one wants this one-off Brighton season where they make Europa League football but then slump back down to reality and the levels again. So I think consistency is just the way to go. I think Deserbi's got to show that 
their team is consistent and they can qualify for European football again. Because any sort of European football for Brighton brings in a huge transfer budget as well. Yeah. I want to say if they keep all their players fit and, and injuries don't completely take over their squad. But having said that, I mentioned earlier as well that there is the system-based team. And it seems to not really matter who plays. So even with a couple of injuries, I think they could sustain that as long as they bring on players who understand the the system and the idea of of how Deserby wants to play. Been very impressed with them and, and also a bit scared from you know how they set up and how clear of an idea they seem to have. Okay, let's turn our attention to our favorite club. I saw a tweet on the weekend saying if ever anyone asks you how loyal you are, just tell them you're a United fan and there'll be no more said. It's hard at the moment, Dwayne. It's it's hard being being a United fan and and I spoke to Armin about this during the game and, and he's like it feels like it's a mix of things. It's it's the bad recruitment, it's it's injuries, it's it's the off pitch pitch issues with the with no one really knowing if it's for sale or not, no one really knowing if they, the the Glazers are actually staying or if they're interested or then the right wingers abusing their their partners the the left winger being AWOL from from training in the squad it's just that toxic mix of things that makes it bad and and sooner or later it's going to bleed into not only results but also performances and i i mean i that united looked like they couldn't be asked on the weekend they looked like a team who didn't care and and what's really worrying for me is that i've seen this pattern before i've seen this pattern not last season but two seasons ago under under um rangnick it was very apparent and and even before that there was spells where I, you just watch them and it just looks like the players don't really care and as a fan that's excruciatingly painful to watch because you obviously care so much and, and you feel like if it was you, you'd run your heart out for for the club. Talk, maybe let's start there. Let's start with, with that toxic mix and what you think is going wrong and what you think leads to this mess. Well, I think it's been a bit of a weird process because especially with the sale at the top. Everyone was so excited for the sale. I remember all United fans buzzing that they were going to get rid of this, the owners that uh, the owners that just don't do anything for the club. And everyone's going to say, yes, they spend a billion, but that's still club money. It's nothing like... If you look at Chelsea, if you look at City, even Arsenal to an extent now, not Liverpool so much, but their owners are investing. So that's one problem there. The second problem is United for me personally, have been a club, a player-led team for so long. Like, post-Ferguson, Moyes probably wasn't the authoritative figure that the club wanted. And then you had Van Gaal and Mourinho. Yeah, two very good managers who probably led the dressing room. But when they had Oli and Ranić, it almost felt like it was a player's club. Like the players could run the team like they wanted to. And right now... With Ten Hag coming in and saying, look, I'm doing this. I'm not taking any shit. I'm going to bend Sancho if he doesn't want to play. I'm going to let Ronaldo go if he doesn't want to press for me. And I'm going to do all these things. It feels like some of the players are not reacting to that because they've been pampered so much. Like, you said they didn't care. And that's true because the first goal, like if you freeze frame on Scott McTominay, you can just see him having a nice little casual jog. And even in the second goal, it's McTominay and Casemiro just refusing to get on the Brighton player. Like, yes, everyone's going to say Leicher got sent by Gross, which he did. But if it's a, the frame before that is literally McTominay and Casemiro walking up to the player and letting him pass it through them. So, yeah, it's just a mix of players probably not receiving criticism well, toxic management, bad recruitment, as Armand said, because United's recruitment, like... The amount they've spent, they could have had so many more players, so much better players, so much younger players. And yeah, it's, it's a mix of everything. It's bad, bad leadership at the top, toxic club atmosphere, players probably not caring too much. And I feel, I feel like, you know, it, they've just come to United and it's like, it's just a brand now. It's just, we come here, we can make money. 
if we get higher paychecks than we would because we're sort of one of the biggest clubs in the world, but no one really cares about actually playing anymore. And it's getting sadder every week to see it because it's like you have a few players who will play at their hearts out and then you have some who are just toxic and just will stay there. I, I want to talk about the, the on-pitch stuff though because there are still, throughout last season, we were all very hopeful that that you know, Ten Hag ball was was looking up and, and he had an idea and he had a plan of how he wanted to play. And and in at times we really saw, I mean, there was that great run that stretched throughout winter that kind of saved or secured top four early doors. I saw 20 minutes of that against Brighton and then the superior team adapted and just kind of took the game away from United. And and right now it seems incredibly uninspired. I mean, the plan forward seems just to be Rashford and hope at some point, Bruno was sitting back between the defenders, even sitting in at center back just to, you know, spread the balls around to no real success. I have to say, I'm not, I'm far from kind of, you know, Ten Hag out or anything, but I, I think it's okay to ask questions now. Know about how they play, and and the press a year in still was non-existent against Brighton. I mean, there was a time like eighty-second minute or so, Brighton just kept the ball for two or three minutes. And yes, Brighton, a good team. We've discussed that. We've given them the credit, but United was just weren't there with the press, and I couldn't even get near Brighton at times. And and I just feel like after a year of, of being in charge now, I, we're entitled to ask questions, no? You are 100% right in that, especially because some of the first season problems are still there. Like, in the first season, United were in the top five or six for, like, every attacking aspect, barring goals. Like, they're really good with chances created, they're really good with expected goals, they're really good with expected assists and they're not scoring. And in the first five games of the season this year, it's looking like the same thing. They're still really good on chances created, they're still good on expected goals and assists, but they're just not scoring. And it just bleeds into the rest of the team where everything else goes wrong. Last year, at least, the defence was stronger, but this year it just looks so out of place. It just looks like teams are just and it's not even like down the flanks, it's through the centre, it's through the heart of the midfield that teams are just running through. And you are right that you can ask questions because like the first season is like you give a manager time, you want him to like like readjust accordingly. And in the second season is where you really expect his philosophy to take over and where it's like now we're going to play my style. And it's just looking like the same season last year. Which still could be hopeful because last season we turned around at some point, but this year looks even bleaker than last year did. Yeah, it, you really wanted that team to build on last season's success, and it just seems like players are shrinking away from it a little bit. And and the other thing I was wondering, and and we will have to stop being so pessimistic in a sec. I will end on a on a happy note, but they they've got this set piece coach in and. 21 crosses, eight corners, zero chances coming from them. Not a single corner looked like it had any sort of conviction. There was players on the edge of the box and the, the ball came first post. The ball came edge of the box. The players were were in the six-yard box. I don't see, I don't believe that this team works on set pieces, both offensively and defensively, because they do they look vulnerable from set. I mean, Arsenal is the classic example where we conceded off a, off a corner in the last minute. And you you have to ask what are they doing because that's just training right that's just you have the quality of deliveries from Bruno and and Mason Mount when he's fit and all, you know even I don't know Diogo Dalot probably yeah Eriksson as well exactly and, and you don't utilize that because yes Martinez might not be the tallest but you have McTominay you have Casemiro who's scored some some great headers for the club you have Hoyland now as well who can attack a ball in the air you have enough to really worry teams and I just didn't really ever see that what well even last year like you could see I think the I think they work on free kick set pieces because you can see some stuff they try to do with free kicks but even last year for corners I think we were the worst goal scoring team of corners last year as well 
and we just for for all the for all the slack Maguire gets, the guy can head the ball, and we haven't really like seen anything of it whenever he's played in the very few limited minutes he's got. Same with McTominay, same with Hoyland. Like Hoyland just come in, so maybe they could try something with him. But we do have set pieces is a big issue at United, and I think. Ranić in his first press conference might have said something like, "If you spend X amount of time in a game with set pieces, you should spend that same amount of time in practice regarding those set pieces." And new set piece coach, new sports scientist, but still the even more injuries than last year. I feel like there's something that's just not happening there. There's something they're not telling us, but it's so clear to see it's not working. And it's like they're playing like a mid-table side because. United still are one of the best teams in terms of winning the ball back in the opposition third. But in the middle third and defensive third, their numbers are so bad in terms of tackles, ones. And the fact that they're number one in blocks means that they are playing defensive football. They aren't really playing the football they thought they would. And that's even more concerning because our set-piece defending is, it's defending is even worse. So it's just not looking really good right now. Yeah, week five and everything's already in in turmoil. We can only hope that Amrabat will shore things up a bit at the back when he when he comes back. But again, new signing and he's already out injured. Something something's not going right. I think we've got a favorable schedule up front. I don't think we've got a really tough schedule to come. Yeah, once the Bayern game is out the way, I think we'll be okay. Yeah, Bayern is ridiculous. <laughs> I do want to end on a positive note though. I mean, for me, Hannibal the. The kid comes on, scores a brilliant goal. Not that it, you know, sparked any sort of comeback, even though the time would have been there, 20 minutes to score two, but no chance. Brighton just killed the game off. And the other thing I was thinking as well, it's it's such a, it's, I mean, it's, it's a game of such fine margins. And we all know how close they were to beating Arsenal away from home with that Garnacho offside, which was inches, if even. And then the Hoyland goal on Saturday as well. If, if you know, I mean, we're talking millimeters there if Rashford keeps that ball in and it's 1-1 I don't know how that Brighton team talk changes at halftime if if it goes in at at 1-1 I just feel maybe also it's a it's a bit of one of the factors is also a bit of bad luck and we might be a bit early to completely panic I 100% agree with you because I remember the same thing last year that United were at a similar point where, you know, everything was going wrong. It just got battered by Brighton and Brentford and everyone was like, oh yeah, kill the season. Now, I think it's too early to hit the panic button. It's right to start asking a bit of questions, but it's too early to just assume that the season's over because there's still 33 games in the league, another six, five, six games in the Champions League at minimum. Plus whatever comes afterwards, you still got the cup competitions. Like there's still a long way of the season to go, and there's still a long time for them to figure things out. It's just a bit sad that we haven't started off the gates like at blistering speed, like we would assume we should. But it's too early to panic. That's I do I do agree with you there. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about the Champions League then for a second, because it is finally back and uh, United are a part of it. And as as hard as it is right now to be excited for it, there's some really cool games coming up. I mean, United, Bayern Munich, uh, the Bayern Munich game away from home. Then you have the Newcastle versus Milan game coming up. Which which games do you have your eye on in the Champions League this this week? Quite sadly, I have to watch United go to Bayern. <laughs> I'm not I'm not looking forward to that. I've got PSG Dortmund on my list because I think that'll be a very interesting game because PSG are coming off a loss and Dortmund finally have got a win after, you know, four teams they should have really convincingly thrashed and they've just barely got wins there. And I want to see Newcastle's return because it looks like it'll just be something big. Like, it'll just look like It'll mean a lot to their players, especially like Dan Byrne, who's a Newcastle lad. So it's yeah, going to mean imagine. a lot to them. So who, I've got Newcastle circle as well. Who, I mean, put your money on the line. Who who do you see going through from that group? I've got PSG going through 100% because I think Luis Enrique plays a type of football that gets you far. Um, 
Milan's tough because they've done well. I think as much as Seth's going to hate this, I don't think Newcastle is going to get through just because of the fact that it's their first time in the competition for like years and years. And while St. James's Park could be a fortress, I just don't see teams like PSG losing to them. I don't see Kylian Mbappe coming under pressure at St. James's Park. I don't see that happening. So I, I think PSG are going through and I think it's a toss-up between Milan and Dortmund for second. Uh, I'm going to back Milan because I feel like even though they got utterly trashed by Inter, Inter is on scorching form right now. I feel like that's like something to do with more how Inter is playing with how bad or without the result of Milan. I think Milan have been quite okay. And Dortmund's early season struggles are not looking very positive. So I think it's a toss-up between Milan and Dortmund. I'll back Milan. Hashi is probably going to love that. And I think I think Newcastle should do whatever they've got. Quali- to try and qualify, obviously. But barring that, get Europa League. Stay in the competition. Stay somewhere in a European hunt. Because they, they could do bits in the Europa League if they get there. But they should obviously aim to get first. But I do see PSG and Milan going through for me. Fair enough. Okay, that's all we have time for today. Dwayne, as always, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and being my therapist uh, for these for these sessions and, and giving your insights on, on all the football-related matters. Uh, we'll be back in a week from now to hopefully discuss a United win for once. It'd be great to, to get all three points. Two um, wins. Yeah, I mean, you know, my hopes aren't high for, for the Bayern Munich game. <laughs> But you never know, you know, you never know. It's football; anything can happen. But I am hopeful that we can beat Burnley away from home. Uh, really hopeful. Next Saturday, we should okay. be. Yeah, Dwayne, thank you so much, and uh, to all our listeners, thank you for listening. As always, keep an eye out on the socials, follow us wherever you can, and uh, I'll give the last chow to Dwayne. Thanks for having me, Fabs. See you soon, hopefully. Yes, indeed. <laughs>